This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Hey, welcome into Grace Collective. If you are new with us, we are super glad you're here. If you're joining us online, we're thankful you're part of our online family today. And if you're normally with us, welcome back in. We're super glad you're here also. Hey, let's go ahead and start with this. Hey, Nathan, throw those up on screen for us. I'm assuming that some of you, at least, are familiar with these guys, right? Any Mandalorian fans here? Woo! I can go, yeah, I don't hear any fans out. Any fans here of Mandalorian? Get, uh, yeah, a little bit better. So, so um, my family and I are fans, right? We're, we're not like super fans, but we enjoy the show. In fact, just like last week, we watched the final episode of season three. Good episode, but I've got a little bone to pick with the creators of The Mandalorian. Come on. Episode eight is the finale? Eight episodes, an entire season? Does it feel like you're getting ripped off a little bit? Like, I mean, that's like going to the movies and getting half a box of popcorn, right? I'm just saying, back in the day, Starsky and Hutch had 25 episodes in one season. And there's a few people over 50, you got that, right? But if, if you're not familiar with the show, this is Din Djarin. He is like the Mandalorian. This is, this is Grogu. He is the ward of the Mandalorian. He looks like he's a thousand years old. He's like just a baby. Um, he's not Baby Yoda. All you super fans are like, oh, don't even say that. Um, but he's, he's obviously the same species, whatever species that is, of Yoda. Uh, but so here's, here's the basic storyline. This was created by a man named John Favreau. And you may not know the name John Favreau, but you probably know John Favreau. If you've watched the Iron Man movies or other uh, the Avenger movies or the latest round of the Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland, then you've seen John Favreau. His character, he plays, he's an actor also, he plays Happy Logan. He is the assistant to Tony Stark. He's, he dates Spider-Man or Peter Parker's aunt. That's Happy Logan. That's John Favreau. He's the guy that created The Mandalorian. And the storyline, if you don't know it, is pretty simple. It's like a spacey western, right? Where the Mandalorian, he's a bounty hunter, and he just lives out in the universe by himself. He goes around capturing bad guys and handing them over to the good guys. And on one of his missions, he's got to find this guy, Grogu. He just knows he's going to get Grogu, keep him, and then deliver him to a certain person. Well, Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, discovers the person he's delivering Grogu to is a bad guy. And you find out that, he, that Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, has a heart. Because he says, I'm not, I'm not handing him over to you. Like, you're, you're a bad guy. And he fights to keep Grogu alive, and that's how he becomes kind of the caretaker of Grogu. Now, Din Djarin, the reason he has a heart and the reason he does that is he lives by a code. It's like a code of ethics. And he's not the only one, because he's not the only Mandalorian. He and his race, the Mandalorians, they come from the planet Mandalore, right? And Mandalore, uh, Mandalore was, was kind of sort of destroyed, um, and most of the people died. But there are some, a remnant, that were able to survive, and they, they're now living spread throughout. Now they're living. It sounds like I'm living in that like it's reality. In the show... <laughs> In the show, they're living throughout the universe, kind of dispersed either individually or in clusters or small groups. And all of them live by the code. And the code is pretty simple. Every time they get together and they make a decision and, and, and they, they make a direction for their lives as Mandalorians or as a single Mandalorian, they always say the same thing. And some of you are on the edge of your seat because you know what it is, right? They always say this. They say, this is the way. And the response is always the same. This is the way. And that's how they live. And that's been their code of ethics, their code of culture, their, the code that binds them together as, as a people. So to sum all that up, there's a group of people They've been scattered around their known world, living in clusters or small groups, and they're living by a certain code of ethics called the way. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Is that, is that, is that, I know, like, Favreau is Jewish, but come on, did he take it straight from the New Testament? This is the book of Acts. This is the early church. The storyline just follows along almost 
just like the early church. Now, the, the, the glaring difference between the Mandalorian and the early Christians, besides the fact that one is real and leads to eternal life and the other is made up and leads to binge watching, the, 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 the major difference, the one difference is the Mandalorians are content keeping the way their way, period. They're the Mandalorians, the way is their way and no one else gets to live by the way. But the early church, I mean, these Christians, they had this undying desire to make more Christians. They had this passion to go and tell, to express the gospel or the good news of Jesus everywhere they went, to everyone they met. And they, their goal was to make more and more and more followers of the way, this code of ethics by which they lived, this way of life that de defined them as a people. And listen, when they begin living that way, Jesus' way, the way, when they began living that way, it was years. Not, not decades and not centuries. It was years when they began changing the world. Things like the centrality of, of family, things like the role and status of women, things like the sinfulness of, of sexual immorality, things like... Uh, Gosh, name, name another sin. Oh, uh, the sanctity of all human life. These are things that Rome was famous for not valuing. And then, all of a sudden, these people of the way, these, these people who were followers of Jesus, they showed up, and within days and weeks and months and years, they began changing lives, and they changed cities, and they changed nations, and they changed the world. And to understand how they did that and why they did that and why that matters to you and to me today, we have to understand something that Jesus said. We're going to look at one thing today that Jesus said, and then we're going to look, look at two and learn two history lessons around it to help you understand it even more so that you can go out and live it today. So here's the scripture. Here's what Jesus said. It is written uh, for us by a man named Matthew. Matthew uh, was one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. Matthew was boots on the ground. Matthew was there when, the, when what we're about to read was spoken. So Matthew gives this to us as a first person account. And Matthew, by the way, well, he's just one of the greatest stories of a life changed by Jesus, which this is all about. So here's, here's what Matthew records for us. He writes, then Jesus came to them and said, and, and Matthew could have written, then he came to us because he was one of the people there. Like when, when Jesus approached this group, it was the 11 apostles. Remember, one of them had already taken his own life. And so when, when Judas Iscariot, and so when, when Jesus came to these guys, it's the 11 apostles after the resurrection, Matthew was there. Jesus had a meeting with them. He was going to share with them, like, here's, here's my last command for you. Here's the one thing I want you to go do. Like, if, if everything else is chaos, you run to this, you break the glass, you pull this out, and you do this one thing. This is it. So this was not a, this was not a suggestion. This was a command. This was their job description. He said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, think about that for a second. Don't, don't just slide by that. Think it. All authority. The authority over everyone and everything, everywhere, every day. All authority, Jesus said, is given to me. All, listen, this means you cannot say, Jesus, hey, I hear you, but I disagree with you. I'm going to do an end or I'm going to your boss. There's no other boss. There's no one higher than, more powerful than. No one has authority over Jesus. Jesus is all authority in heaven and on earth. He says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, not suggested to you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How many of you, by show of hands, how many of you have heard that before? How many of you are lying? Like you're just, just scared to raise your hand in church. He's going to call on me if I raise my hand. I'm not going to call on you. Hey, no, I'm just kidding. 
was like, oh, oh, oh. you've heard that. If you grew up in church, you've heard that. If you've been in church for a minute in your life, you've heard that. Right? That go make disciples. That's, that's the rally cry of the church. Go make disciples. That's, that's our cheer. That's, that's Patrick Henry searing the hearts of his hearers in the 1775 Virginia Assembly when he uttered these famous words, give me liberty or give me death, right? You know that. This is, this is Braveheart. When Braveheart, you know, remember this scene, he rides in front of his, his warriors and he clashing their swords with his sword. He's, Alba Gubra, Alba Gubra, like Scotland forever, Scotland forever. That, that was all right. I can never get an accent. That actually worked. But that's, that's their battle cry. Or some of you will get this, right? This is He-Man before he goes into battle. By the power of Grayskull. What, nobody? What did you watch when you were a kid? Holy cow. <laughs> Just Google it. You'll find it. But, but this, is, this is the rally cry of the church. Go. Like, go make disciples. They're like, hey, church, get together. Let's go. Hands in. One on three. One, two, three. Go make disciples. And they go out to fight. This is what drove them. This is, this is what moved them. They're ready to win the world. And we know this command of Jesus has a name. It's called the Great Commission. The great co-mission where Jesus' followers, Jesus' people are on mission with Jesus. That's what co-mission means. We're sharing the mission with Jesus to change lives and change the world. But to understand that, that great commission, that great command, to understand it so that you can actually join it and do it, you have to understand two really important contextual truths about it. In fact, the reason some of you know this but do not do this is because you don't understand this. And so what we're going to do today is I'm going to, I'm going to help you understand it. So welcome to, he took away all my excuses Sunday, Sunday, okay? We're going to just erase your excuses um, and help you understand this. We're going to call these two truths actually history lessons. That's all they are. We're going back in history, teaching you some cultural relevance from what was going on at that time to impact this time. So here's history lesson number one. So in the early church, and listen, lean in on this. I want you to hear this. In the early church, people did not follow Jesus simply as a means to get into heaven. Some of you are like, well, but wait a minute, that's why I signed up. I signed up because I didn't want to miss out. Because someone came to you, didn't they? And they say, hey, you're going to die someday. Do you know where you're going? Don't you want to go to heaven? Well, good, me too. Repeat after me. And you said a prayer. Good thing you got in before you died, right? Because you, you want to go to heaven. And, and the good news of Jesus is to make sure I get to go to heaven. Listen, in the early church, following Jesus was not about just about eternal life. It was a way of daily life. It was, it was Jesus' way of life, so it became their way of life. And this is really, really well displayed for us in the term that these people began to be known as. They became known as Christians. Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. People who were not following Jesus watched the people who were following Jesus, and they gave them the name Christian. It started in the city called Antioch. Antioch was a, was a really, really interesting city. Antioch was this, this city that um, was like Rome's leading city in the east. It was third largest and most important city in the Roman Empire. It was behind Rome, the city of Rome, and Alexandria, and then Antioch. And Antioch is a city described this way, the entire world in one city. One of, the, one of the historians who wrote from way back then said, if you come and visit our city, you'll experience the entire world in the short time that you're here. That's Antioch. So many cultures and races and, and customs from all over the world met and stayed and lived and happened right there in Antioch. They literally were the world in one city. And Antioch was, was located perfectly for that to happen. If you can picture the Mediterranean Sea and, and the coastline going up and like Jerusalem and Judah and Samaria and all were down here, Antioch, Antioch was up here. And Antioch was about 16 miles from the coast, which was great because like enemies with navy ships 
couldn't attack it, but trade ships could access it. And on land, it was a major, it was like the hub of some major, major players in the world, in world trade back then. Egypt, Mesopotamia, Asia Minor, Italy, all these places pass through Antioch. So that's, that's where Antioch was. Uh, it was such an important, important city that Rome decided to build wall, a wall around the outside of it to protect it. And in the very center of the city was its marketplace. That's where life happened. But it's also where life got segregated. The city of Antioch boasted a population. Get this. I'm, I'm, I, I geek out over these little you know, Bible facts, you know. The city of Antioch boasted a population of between 200 and 500,000 people. That's, you think of biblical towns, like little fishing village with 35 people? No, this is up to half a million people. That's a big city today. Think of that living back then. So they have all these people, and all these people were divided in the city of Antioch, were divided into 18 different ethnic groups. Literally, there was a wall around the outside of the city, and there were walls inside the city that segregated or kept the people divided. Different people from different places living divided from each other. But then, then all these people of the way showed up. And I don't mean the Mandalorians, right? These people of the way, followers of Jesus, showed up in Antioch. This is a very Gentile Roman city, but here they come. And they begin telling people about Jesus, and they weren't picky who they told. They didn't just tell this group or that group. They told all the groups about Jesus. And here's why. Because to Jesus and to Jesus' followers, people are just people. Regardless of race, race, nation, background, experience, skin color, accent, doesn't matter. People are just people. And so these followers of Jesus, they come, they come into Antioch and they say, hey, let us tell all of y'all about Jesus. And they start telling them about Jesus and people, people began to believe in Jesus. They began to give their lives to Jesus. They began to join these followers of Jesus from all these different precincts. And what the people of Antioch who lived there saw happening was, was new and fresh. And they didn't know what to do with it. Because all these different people from all these different areas became one people, became one family. And they said, we've, we've got we've to name that. It wasn't derogatory. It was just decisive. It, was, it just showed who they were, distinctive. And so they took two Greek words. They took the word Christ, which is Greek for uh, the Messiah, Christ, referencing Jesus, who these people of the way kept talking about all the time. And they took the other Greek word, Ian, I-A-N, which means from the party of, and they put them two, these two words together to form one brand new word called Christian, from the party of Jesus. And who doesn't want to be part of a party, right? Especially when Jesus is throwing the party. So, so here's this brand new name for this brand new people in Antioch. They said, we, gotta, we have to somehow understand who you are, and we're watching you live your life a certain way. You look like this Jesus guy you keep talking about. So we'll name you after him. And they became known as Christians. And all that happened, because they were just following Jesus' command to go make disciples of all nations. Everyone represented, even in that one city. What a, what a radical change in the world's world view. God was being introduced to people who never knew him, and he was being reintroduced in a new way to, to the Jews who thought they knew him. And all of a sudden, all of them were discovering that this God of these Jesus followers, well, he's for everybody. He loves everybody. And so they called them Christians. And that's history lesson number one. Like why Christians were first called Christians because they broke the barriers that separated people and they shared the gospel with everybody. So his, his followers, they're, they're commanded to go out and tell the whole world, like everyone, everywhere, every day. Oh, that's catchy. <laughs> Maybe we'll keep that one. 
If you're, if you're new, like, that's been one of our taglines since before day one. Everyone, everywhere, every day. They, they tell the good news to people to get them on board with Jesus. When they get on board with Jesus, they're following Jesus. They're now called Christians. But Jesus called them something else. Jesus called them disciples. It's not a word we use. When was the last time you said, hey, disciple, come over here? We, 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 we don't use that word. Maybe, maybe today one word we could use if we wanted to is the word student, a student of Jesus. That's not bad, right? It's not wrong. It's just not complete. Like today, um, we have a different idea of students. Students are different than they were back then. If you're in middle school right now or high school or trade school or maybe college, you're a student. And maybe you like your teachers. You probably have some teachers you like more than others, right? But you change your teachers every year. You change some teachers every semester. But I guarantee you that even your best teacher, you're not dreaming about becoming like him or like her. I don't know anybody ever said, yeah, that, that, that calculus teacher I got, I can't, I'm going to grow up and be just like her one day. So, so maybe student isn't the right one. Maybe a better word to use is the word apprentice. Because that's what apprentices do, right? They go to someone to learn so that they can become just like him or her. Apprentice. That sounds like a way better word to use. And this is where history lesson number two comes in. Listen, Jesus was sending his followers to all people all over the world, all different types of people. But we can never forget that Jesus was a Jew. And he was giving this command, first of all, to a small group of Jews. And he was speaking in the framework or from the framework of a Jewish rabbi to his disciples. And if you don't understand what that means... You will not understand or live into this command. So here's a quick overview. Here's a quick overview of the ancient Jewish educational system. And some of you are going to be so thankful that it's not the system we use today. So when Jewish boys reached like age five, they, between five, like from five to age 10, they went to school at the synagogue. So in Jewish life, there was one temple and it was in Jerusalem. But there were synagogues all over. The temple was a place of worship. Synagogues were the place of education. And so every day, some of them seven days a week, these, these boys would go to school, kind of grade school, in the synagogue. And they would learn reading, reading and writing and arithmetic and all the, all the good stuff. But they learned all of it by memorizing the Torah. The Torah was a, is the first five books of our Old Testament, the first section of the Hebrew Scriptures, and they would memorize. Picture that. They're memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Some of you can't even read those, right? They're hard. I, I'm with you. They're hard to get you. Someone begat, someone begat, somebody, I'm tired of the begats already, right? There's, there's just a lot of names, a lot of numbers in there. They memorized it. Like when they're five to ten years, what are your five to ten-year-old kids and grandkids doing? The wheels and the bus go round and round, right? These, these kids, these kids are memorizing these first five books of the Bible. And that's just, that's grade school. That's level one. It was called Bet Sefer. It was called the house of the book. And for, for the boys who were ages 5 to 10, they went and they studied that and they learned that. And when they were done learning that, like, oh, I'm so glad that's over because the vast majority of them, they went home after that. Schooling was done. Now they went home to take over the family business or to learn it so they could. So these 10-year-olds these now, they go home and if your dad was a craftsman or a carpenter, then you learned how to be a craftsman and a carpenter from your dad. That's what you did with your life. If your dad was a fisherman, you got on the boat with your dad and you learned how to fish and become a fisherman for your life. In fact, remember, remember when Jesus called uh, you know, Peter and Andrew and James and John? Remember what they were doing when he called them? They were fishing. James and John were on the fishing boat with their dad. This should give you a little bit of a clue that these guys weren't 30 something years old when they were, you know, you look at the picture of the apostles, they had gray hair and beards. No, they're teenagers. Peter, Peter, maybe, he's the only one that's married. Peter, maybe, was in his early 20s. But most of them, they're in their they're teenagers. They're just Lord. 
in the trade. They're doing what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. I remember, I remember when, um, when I was in Butler Junior High School, so I'm like 13 years old, and I sometimes I would just not take the bus home. I'd walk down my dad's office. My dad was a tax accountant. He had his own tax accounting business. And I walked down uh, through Butler from the junior high school. I'd cross Main Street, go by Troutman's department store, go on down West Cunningham Street, and then West Jefferson Street. That's where my dad's office was. I'd walk in like I did a lot of days, throw my, my books on the, on the chair in the waiting room, say hey to one of the secretaries, go upstairs where my dad was in his office. And I, and I remember this one day, I just stood there behind him watching him, like before computers. He's got his pencil and he's got his ledger and he's just crunching all these numbers and he's adding machine. I, I'm so amazed. He's so fast, I'm even looking at it and writing things in, doing someone's return. And two minutes of watching that, and I said to my dad that day, Dad, I am so sorry, but I can never take over the family business. I would have freaked out. Some of you are good at that. You do numbers and those details really, really great. I'm not smart enough to do that. But gosh, back then they didn't, have a, they didn't really have a choice. Now, if my dad had been a fisherman, I would have been all over that all day long, right? That would have been really cool. But back then, whatever your family business was, that was your life. Unless, unless when you graduated that first level at the synagogue when you were 10 years old, unless you're the top of your class. If you're the top rungs of your class, you go to level number two. And level number two is called Beit Talmud. And Beit Talmud was uh, called House of Learning. And kids were in that were 10 to 14 or 15 years old. And they've already, listen, they're top of the class. They've already learned the first five books, memorized that. Now they're getting the promises and the prophets and the prophecies of God. And they learned the very valuable tool of how to be in a conversation with somebody. They learned when you're asked a question, you answer it with a question. How many times do you see Jesus do that? Right? Over and over and over. They learned that. That was how they communicated. That's how they taught, by asking even more questions. So you go through that second level, and if you excelled at that, if you're like the valedictorian or salutatorian of that second level, by the way, who here? Who here has ever been, or maybe you're getting ready to graduate, and you're going to be the valedictorian or the salutatorian of your class? Anybody? Any valedictorians or salutatorians? Some of you are like, what's that mean? You're not one, okay? (laughs) We got got a valedictorian, salutatorian? Yeah, we got, congratulations. Sometimes that's a huge honor, and then you live your life, and nobody remembers except the day you spoke at graduation, right? So congratulations. That's, that's, that's great news. And back then, if you were like valedictorian or salutatorian at that second level, you were invited to go to the next level, the third level, the highest level. It's like PhD work now. And you, you had the opportunity to study under a rabbi. And you, here, here's what we'd do. You would choose a rabbi that you trusted, that you believed You thought spoke the truth? Because here's the thing about rabbis. All the rabbis, yeah, they memorize the exact same scripture, but they interpret it differently. Hey, we all know exactly what it reads, but when it comes to practically living it out, I believe it should look like this. Well, I believe it should look like this. And all of a sudden, you've got these different teachings of these different rabbis. And so you would choose a rabbi by saying, hey, I like what he says. Boy, he's making a difference in people's lives. That makes sense to me. And you would go to that rabbi and you would say, rabbi, can I be your disciple? I've graduated from the first two levels and here I am. And, I, and he knew, he knew you're smart to get to that level. But then he would begin to grill you. And he would say to you, well, you want to be my disciple? Then do this for me. Recite the entire book of Leviticus word for word. And you're like, great school, did that already. And he's like, backwards. True. Like, they, recite it. You know, you, you know, you think you know well? You don't know it good enough unless you can write it frontwards and backwards. He would just grill you, grill you, grill you. And here's why. He wasn't just measuring how smart you were. He's looking at your potential. He's looking at you to see if you can be like him. He's looking at you because he doesn't want just to teach you what he knew. He wanted to know if you had what it took to become like him. He's teaching you his training so that you become like him and you take his teachings 
You take his way out into the world to teach and tell others. So if he looks at you and, and you recite Leviticus backwards, whatever he tells you to do, and, and over enough time, he says, you know what? Yes, you, you can be my disciple. He would say these words, and this is, like, this is like walking across and getting the handshake and getting your diploma to go to the next level. He said, follow me. And that was your invitation. That was your golden ticket. And from that day on, you would follow your rabbi. You would follow your rabbi, and you would, you would go where he went, sleep when he slept, stop when he stopped. When he spoke, you took copious notes. You memorized everything you could that he taught you so that one day you would be just like him to tell others the same things. That was a rabbi and a disciple. In fact, there was a saying, it was actually a blessing to students of a rabbi back then. People would say, may the dust of your rabbi cover you. Meaning both figuratively and literally. May you follow your rabbi so closely that when he walks along the road, and here you are walking with him, you're so closely following him that the dust he kicks up covers your robes. That was, that was, an, that was a rabbi with a disciple or an apprentice. And that's the difference between a student and an apprentice, right? A student learns for knowledge, but an apprentice, an apprentice learns to become Friends, hear me on this. Jesus calls apprentices. We have enough smart Christians already. We need more honest, authentic followers of Jesus. In fact, go back. Go back and listen to Jesus invite people. When he went back, go back when he's inviting, again, even his first people. He didn't say to them, hey, drop your nets and come believe in me. Come, come, learn all the facts about me. Do you remember what Jesus said? Hey, come, follow me. Rabbi to disciple. That was very distinctive language. And here's the cool thing. Don't miss this. Don't, don't gloss over this. Make sure you get this. He's saying this to who? Peter and Andrew and James and John, who were doing what? Fishing. You know why they were fishing? They flunked out of school. They were great school flunkouts, or they were middle school flunkouts. They didn't make it to the third level. That's why they're doing what they're doing now. And here's the importance of that. Jesus looks at these guys, and who the rest of the world looked at them, like the Jewish leaders looked at them and said, hey, here are just ordinary guys, uneducated guys. Yeah, that's exactly right, but Jesus said, I want you. And did you notice something was missing in that process? They didn't go to him to ask to be his disciples. Jesus went to them and said, I don't care your background. I don't care how smart you are, not smart you are, good you are, bad you are. Hey, tax collector, everybody hates you. I love you. Come on. This is what Jesus did. And the importance of that is he looks at you and me today and he says, hey, you don't have to be anything special. Just be you. And let me teach you my ways. Come and follow me. You don't, you don't have to earn Jesus' attention. He wants you to follow him. And he wants to use you to teach other people to follow him too. So when Jesus invites you to follow him, he's inviting you to be his apprentice, to learn a way of life, like his way of life. And this is where a lot of us have missed it. Listen, listen, again, this is, there's just a couple of things you've got to really take home with you today. And this is one of them. Following Jesus is not a personal belief statement. Following Jesus is a personal missional statement. And there's a difference. There's a difference. This is why people, this is why people who are not following Jesus called the people who were following Jesus Christians or people of the way. They, they watched the way these people lived. They didn't say, oh, I see what these people believe. They watched the way they lived. It was a way of life, a whole way of life. It was like a Jesus culture. Their lives looked different and sound different and were different from everyone else's. It wasn't just a Sunday way of life. It was a way of life every day. And it was changing the world. And you know this. Like, this is not new to you. You know this from your own life experience. If you want to accomplish something, if you want to become something, if you want to master something, 
There is a way that you do that, right? If you want to be fit and healthy, you can't simply believe in being fit and healthy, right? It doesn't work, right? You've got to not only own a gym membership, but apparently you've got to use a gym membership, right, guys? I see these guys in the gym all the time. That's why they're, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you can't just own a membership to the gym. There's a way you get fit and healthy. and You actually go do it. You practice it. If you want to be, if you want to be like really good at your sport or really good on your instrument, what do you do? You follow a way to get good at it. You watch the films. You practice a lot. You, you talk to people who've done it. There's a way you follow to become really good at what you want to become good at. If you want to learn to speak Spanish, you don't just say, maybe I'll walk around. People speak Spanish and by osmosis, it'll sink in. There's a way, right? There's a way that you follow to learn to speak Spanish. It's super easy. You download Duolingo or the Rosetta Stone and, or go take classes at Western, you know, at, at, a, at a community college. There's great ways you can do that, but there's, there are ways. And if you want to learn to speak Spanish, you, you follow that way. Following Jesus doesn't just mean believing something. It means ordering your whole life around his way of life. This is, this is what Jesus taught us. So that you become like him. Now, what does all of that have to do with go make disciples? Well, for starters, go make disciples isn't as easy as we've made it. It's not as easy as we've made it in the church. We've turned following Jesus into something we believe instead of something that we do. We've changed church into where we go instead of the people that we are. I have an idea. How many of you, how many of you would be with me on this? How many of you would be with me if we decided to begin making the word church a verb? Wouldn't that be cool? Hey, you want to go church somebody? Sounds like you're going to go, you know, go do something wrong, right? <laughs> you want to go soap some windows, you know? <laughs> My brother will get a kick out of that one. Hey, let's go church somebody this week. Hey, I'm, go, I'm, I'm going to work. I'm going to go church some people at work today. I'm going to go church some people at my school today. I'm going to church some people on my team today. What if we made church a verb? Wouldn't that be cool? Yes. Okay, maybe not. Stay with us. You'll get there. Listen, this church is a verb. Let's begin to church some people. Unfortunately, we, we, we've not done that. And so we've, we've, we've turned the great commission into the great omission, and we've lost the battle cry. We've lost our rally cry because of it. When Jesus said, go make disciples, he's saying, hey, you're my apprentices. So go apprentice some more people like me. Go be like me and teach other people to be like me. Go make apprentices of me. And this is what Jesus commanded. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't optional. Let me put it this way. Can you even conceive of walking into work tomorrow morning and your boss says to you, hey, got a new idea. Let's just make your job description optional from now on. How would that go? You wouldn't be in that job very long, would you? How many of you can ever imagine your husband or your wife saying, hey, let's, let's make, our, let's make our, our wedding vows optional? How many of y'all are parents? Any parents? How many of you are not raising your hand because you don't want to be pegged as parents today? <laughs> parents, can you imagine the day? Could, did you ever even think about the possibility that providing for your kids was optional? When you become a parent, or you become a spouse, or when you get a job, you commit to it. It's not optional. It's what you commit your life to. Listen, when you commit to Jesus, when you, begin, when you say, yeah, I'm in, Jesus, I'm in, there's something you commit to, and it's called the Great Commission. We commit to Jesus' way of life. And if you're a follower of Jesus or you claim to be a follower of Jesus, your job description is super simple. It just goes like this. Followers of Jesus make followers of Jesus, period. I like the way Tim Mackey of the Bible Project put it. He wrote, he wrote this. He actually said these words. I heard him say it. It's super great. He said, following Jesus means participating in an international, 
Remember that word? That's a big word. All nations, all people from all over the world. It's not about this nation or that nation. It's about the whole world. It's international. It's participating in an international community of apprentices, learning to live by the heartbeat of Jesus as if, as if he really is the king of the world. Do you remember what we said last week? You commit to what you're convinced of. If you're convinced of this, if you're convinced that Jesus really is the king of the world, that all authority in heaven and on earth is his, then you lay down your life and you commit your life to him, to living his way. You order your life around him. This is the way. I thought maybe a Mandalorian fan might respond back. I don't know. I was waiting for it. This is the way. Just keeping you honest. That's great. Hey, so let me give you, uh, we'll wrap this up. Let me give you a glimpse today of one way this can become real to you today. Today is Compassion Sunday. Have you noticed all the shirts? Can say Compassion? <laughs> Like, I'm double dipping on it, right? But you'll notice, look around, you'll see a lot of our staff and people wearing Compassion shirts. Today is Compassion Sunday. And if you've not been paying attention or you've not been here the last few weeks, we've been talking about this day as one way that we get to, we get to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and the lives that are desperate to know that Jesus is their Savior, but He's also their hope and their provider. Now, to introduce this, let me direct your attention to the screen. Last week, we showed you like a little teaser video about a young girl who this week's going to tell you her story. Take a look at this. My grandfather used to say, God is with us and God will always be with us. Every time that we had the Los Resistance Army or the LRA, we are in a village, it was fear. The fear of being abducted and being trained to become child soldiers. All the hats were burned to the ground. I felt hopeless, no food, no water, it sent me into silence. My grandfather used to give us candy for memorizing Bible verses. It gave me hope. When the war intensified, my grandfather put me on a bus to live with my mother. My mother did not share much about her life because she had her own struggles. But I remember this Saturday, she woke me up and she said, I'm taking you to church. I saw children laughing. I had no idea what was going on, but I knew this was a good thing. Can you give me that smile, Malakwa. And my life was forever changed. That same month, I got a letter from my husband and wife, and the letter said they loved me. And at that moment, I had hope that everything would be okay. Growing up, my compassion sponsors encouraged me and continually spoke truth into my life. The Compassion Project became a place of healing and restoration. It was a place of refuge for me. I got medical care. I got an education. And it became a great reminder of the Jesus that my grandfather introduced me to at the age of five. about sponsoring a child, I would say act, sponsor a child, because for me, my life was forever changed, and you can do that too.
there are a lot of young ladies and young men, girls and boys, just like Olive, all over the world of all nations. And they're desperate. You and I will probably never live through what they live through. But for them, that's reality. Many of them don't have parents. Many of them don't have hope. Many of them barely have life. And you and I, well, we're sitting here planning where we're going to go out to eat for lunch. So today, we're challenging you, Grace Collective Church, to step up and sponsor 30 kids. It's not a hard sell. It's not meant to be that. But in our first attempt, to, as, as Grace Collective, like we, 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 are, we partner with churches and we partner with ministries and organizations locally, regionally, and worldwide financially. But this is a new one for us. This is our first step into missions. And as we do so, we've partnered with Compassion International. We've met with one of their representatives. We've prayed through this for weeks and months. And we are given the opportunity to be matched with a, a town, a village in Honduras that has the number of children needing to be sponsored that we told Compassion we could sponsor as a church because we believe in you. And so they've sent us all the materials. And this is how we're going to end worship today. We're not going to sing any more songs. We're simply going to tell you what you're invited into. The challenge is 30, 30, 30 kids. It's super easy. Listen, my wife and uh, my kids and I, we sponsor a, a boy in Uganda. His name's Dennis. We met Dennis through compassion when he was this tall. And for 10 years, we've been watching him grow. We've always pictures beside each other, you know, if we can see him maturing and he writes his letters and we write back and tells us about his life. And he's, he's like our family. And we, every night we get on our knees and we praise a family for Dennis because we love him. And this is, and some of you know what that's like. You already sponsor someone. I'm asking you to go to the extra mile today and say, hey, how about as a family or an individual, we sponsor another one or maybe for the first time and you, you pick up a packet and Pastor Jonathan is going to be out there and uh, Stacy's wife will be out there and more people to help you answer your questions. But let me answer a few before you ask them. If you're online, can you do this? Yes. You can just scan the code, the QR code will be online for you, and you can join in this and help us sponsor kids in this one town in Honduras. And if you're here, you can, you can scan the QR code in front of you or simply go out there. We want, you, we want to funnel you out to our booth set up out there, and you can just scan the, the QR code on the packet of the child you choose. Look at their picture. Look at their birth date. Whatever's meaningful for you, boy or girl, and you can start a relationship with them today. It costs $38 a month. I've done the math. That is less than 10 drinks from Starbucks a month. Come on, y'all. That's less than three a week. Some of you are there five, six, seven, ten times a week. Lay a couple cups down and change a person's life. And not just the person you're sponsoring, but that person's brothers and sisters or family or entire village. Eventually, we'll be able to partner with that town even more directly. We're Grace Collective. We have a sister church, a sister school, a sister town in Honduras. And we'll help them with things like, hey, let's repair the school or let's build the church. Let's dig some well, a well or two. We'll get to that. But right now, it's way more personal because the need is really, really real. Right now, the, the need is for you and me to take a child or more and sponsor them so they can grow up learning about Jesus. There is hope, not just for heaven, but right here and right now. So let me do this. Let me just pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. And you can take your time and pray in here, or you can go out and start looking around if you'd like. And if you just need to go, and if $38 is too steep a month right now for you, it's, it's okay. It's not a pressure thing. It's an invitation to begin to become an international group of apprentices where we learn from them and they learn from us and we partner to spread the good news of Jesus around the world. So let me pray for us. Lord, you know all things. You know every single need of every single child that's represented by a photograph in our lobby. And Jesus those are way more than two-dimensional prints. Those are real lives. 
Kids who have lost their parents, kids who have lost their hope, kids who have lost their faith, kids who have just gone silent, kids who are just in need, kids who are hungry. And God, here we are, and we have the means. We just need the compassion. And so would you impassion us to step into their lives in a way that changes their lives. God, today and for eternity. So Jesus, this is yours. Just work through us any way you want. We commit this to you, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Friends, thank you for being with us today. Uh, we are dismissed. We'll see you back here next Sunday, if not before. Remember, take a chance to stop out there and check out the compassion stuff. Thanks for being with us. Have a great rest of your weekend. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.